Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the farm bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Oh, man. So every time that I tell my friends and family that I am playing Bernie Sanders on the mock debate stage, they ask me for an impression. And I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you what I tell them, which is absolutely not. Hello, Nerdcasters. I'm Scott Bland, your host. And you're listening to the first episode of a special daily series we're doing ahead of Thursday's Democratic presidential primary debate, which PBS NewsHour and Politico are co-hosting. To help us with this episode, we've enlisted several of Politico's 2020 beat reporters. I'm Elena Schneider, and I cover Pete Buttigieg. My name is Holly Otterbein, and I cover 2020 and Bernie Sanders. My name is Zach Montalero. I'm a campaign reporter here at Politico. I am Tom Steyer for The Mock Debate, and I'm about uh, $2 billion poorer than he is. My name is Alex Thompson. I'm the Warren Beat reporter. Natasha Karecki. I'm a political correspondent. I cover Biden slash Iowa slash Midwest. My name is Eugene Daniels, and I cover the Andrew Yang campaign. I'm Mark Caputo, and I'm playing Amy Klobuchar in the mock debate. We had mock debates to prepare Politico's moderator, Tim Alberta, along with the PBS NewsHour team. Well, shit, they actually are recording this. And in this episode, we're peeling back the curtain a little bit on the process of preparing for this debate. Let's kick it off with your first question. Good evening. A kind of fun... Oh my god, this is really hard. Okay, also embarrassing. Only mildly embarrassing, not deeply way for the reporters to embody the visions of the candidates they've extensively covered. Yeah, I get a little tired of Democrats who are afraid of big ideas. That's corruption, pure and simple, and we have to call it out. You know, I come from the industrial Midwest. I come from a place where towns were hollowed out. I did it in 1986. I, I was the first. The I was the first. Who said Bill? You've both been invoked. You will both have a chance to respond. The debate will be moderated by Politico's Tim Alberta, as well as PBS NewsHour's Judy Woodruff, Amna Navaz, and Yamish Alcindor. This is the final primary debate of 2019 and the second to last before the Iowa caucuses in February. Since the last debate, we saw Kamala Harris drop out. We've seen Cory Booker, Julian Castro, and Tulsi Gabbard fail to qualify for this debate. And we've got the small matter of an impeachment trial coming up, which could take three of the presidential candidates, the senators, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Amy Klobuchar, off the trail and back to the Senate for that trial right before Iowa. Editorially, to prepare for the debate, all of our 2020 reporters wrote lengthy briefing books on the candidates they're covering. Um, the debate books were um, stressful. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, the briefing books. Every campaign reporter has 24 topics, two to four pages on each topic. These included everything from what they've said and the positions they've held over decades of their public careers right up to now and the new platforms they've been putting out on the presidential campaign trail. It was interesting. Uh, but, you know, when you have a candidate uh, that I cover like Bernie Sanders, who has a decades-long career, that means he has a decades-long record and he's said things for decades. Well, you know, Joe Biden was especially fun because he has, you know, four decades in government. So trying to go through there and past votes, how he's contradicted himself over time, it's it was a lot to go through. And he's just had a lot of experience. There's a benefit of covering a 37-year-old mayor. There's a little less policy 
uh, depth to drive through, um, at least in terms of record. It was, it was really, I mean, I was stayed up till two in the morning, many nights. You're just c- totally and con- completely consumed by this Google document and spending time thinking and, and dreaming in the voice of the candidate that you're focusing on. It's a wonderful exercise, I think, for a reporter, though, because you are forced to really dig into stuff that you know, maybe some of the issues you haven't written about as much, or maybe you you really you've written about them, but you've kind of not really dug into them. And um, and then when you really have to when you have to look at it and write it down yourself, and it, it's just good. It gets more ingrained in you, and you, you kind of have a better understanding of you know the positions and the you know how how it's changed over time, and how the candidates uh, developed into you know who they are now. Hopefully, it means that we are extremely prepared for this debate. There have been five Democratic debates so far. We've seen these candidates get a lot of questions about a lot of the same issues. We've seen health care and a bunch of other issues get litigated again and again. Hopefully, the result of all this preparation is that people will learn something new about these people and what they believe on Thursday night. Respectfully, that came nowhere close to answering the question. (laughs) (laughs) And we asked the reporters... What's the biggest challenge facing each candidate on stage? Elizabeth Warren. So this is a critical moment for Elizabeth Warren's campaign, especially with all of the swirl of impeachment. There are very few moments when people's eyeballs are going to be on the race before Iowa. Um, And it's undeniable that she has either stalled or dipped in the last two months that she clawed her way back from uh, low single digits at the very beginning of this race, became a frontrunner. And then has really suffered in the face of getting torn knots over Medicare for All and everything else. With that context in mind, she needs to show why she should be the Democratic nominee, why she is better than everyone else. She needs to remind people why she was – why she is not just a Howard Dean 2.0, a flavor of the month over the summer and why Democrats should trust her to – be the best person to take on Donald Trump after, uh, you know, a few months of pretty tough headlines. Joe Biden. I think his biggest challenge heading into this debate in particular is navigating this whole purity contest that's going on between uh, Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg. Um, And, uh, you know, Buttigieg was getting um, a lot of criticism for what he has and hasn't disclosed in terms of fundraisers and so forth. And Biden can turn to his policy right off the bat that he opened up his fundraisers, but he hasn't um, disclosed his bundlers. So I think if if Warren is able to package that in a way, or even Buttigieg is able to package that in, in a way that sort of makes people start questioning, you know, is Biden a little too old school? Is he a little too chummy? Um, and, and paint him in that way. That, that That could add a different dynamic, I think, than how we've sort of seen you know, the debate play out in the past. Bernie Sanders. So Bernie Sanders finds himself in an interesting moment going into this next debate. There's been a little bit of rethinking even among elite Democrats about Sanders. I've seen and heard increasingly from insiders that they believe that maybe he actually does have a path to the presidential nomination, um, that maybe he's been underestimated. And so he's second in the national polls. He's doing pretty well in the early states as well. There's there's polls that are showing him first in California. Um, 
So he is in a fairly good position with a kind of feeling of momentum a little bit behind him. I think that his biggest challenge is what his biggest challenge has basically always been since 2016, which is winning over older voters. As you look at Bernie Sanders' support, he has the strongest support among younger voters. And literally, as you just go up in age groups, he has less and less and less support until you get to 65 plus voters where he has literally single digits. He looks like, you know, an almost third tier nominee among those voters. That has been his challenge since 2016. It is a large part of why he did not win the nomination, particularly had poor, um, poor numbers among African-American older voters. So that's his challenge is can he use this debate in order to start to turn that around or at least just chip away at it? No one expects him to win over older voters. He doesn't need that. He just needs to stop losing them so, so badly. And there are some things that he could possibly do. He can talk about his proposal to increase Social Security benefits. He can talk about, you know, his view of um, helping people with pensions, with with union you know negotiations in order to get better pensions. Um, he can even, you know, his aides have suggested that maybe part of the reason he has a challenge with older voters is because they worry about his, his record in terms of can he get things done. He has a record of achievements that he doesn't often talk about, so he could do that. So there are things that he can do. Um, he typically doesn't do them. So I am looking to see whether or not that changes, which is probably unlikely. Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg's challenge in this debate is is about maintaining the position that he's in, which is a big ask because we still have many weeks to go before Iowa. He has surged in Iowa and New Hampshire, and the question is whether he can hold it. And it's been clear over the last several weeks that people have taken notice, and they have plans to come at him directly and aggressively. We got a taste of it in November when Amy Klobuchar started to make the electability argument around his experience and whether he, as somebody who has represented a town of 100,000 people and hasn't gotten more than a couple thousand votes ever, is qualified to run for the highest office. And I think we can expect more of that and and more sort of broad frontal assaults on his policy platforms. And the way that he acquits himself, and if he can acquit himself and punch back, then he'll have done what he needed to do. Amy Klobuchar. The biggest challenge for Amy Klobuchar ahead of this debate is the fact that she's still down in the polls. Uh, When it comes to issues and questions she might want to answer, probably one of her biggest challenges is going to be how she handles the issue of race. She used to be a prosecutor in the largest county in Minnesota. And in a few police brutality cases, activists wanted her to directly charge police who were accused of wrongdoing. Uh, She didn't do that. And in this modern era of the Black Lives Matter movement, which is particularly expressed and pronounced in the Democratic primary, that could come back to haunt her. Andrew Yang. I think Andrew Yang needs to be taken a little bit more seriously. Um, He has spent a lot of this campaign kind of being lumped in into the Marianne Williamson group, um, kind of like the fringe candidates. And so what he needs to do is to seem like someone who has presidential chops. He needs to speak up a little bit more. He's not had as many times to speak as other candidates in other debates. And I think a little bit of that has to do with the fact that he kind of sits back and waits instead of jumping in when something probably he could talk about. And he, he doesn't do that often. And Tom Steyer. 
So Tom Sawyer's biggest challenge for this debate is probably just standing out. He had one of the lowest speaking times in the last debate, and he's never really been much of a factor on the debate stage. He's kind of been an afterthought. Candidates don't particularly engage with him all that much. So he really wants to try to get into the mix, get into those deep conversations with candidates, kind of get into a back and forth and kind of get more time on stage. And all this preparation, getting inside the candidates' heads, figuring out what they think and why, how they express that, the exact words that they say, is based on trying to identify the questions that will give voters and the media and the public uh, the best idea of, of what these candidates think and do and how they might react in the presidency and why someone should or shouldn't pick them in the upcoming caucuses and primaries. The second question we asked our 2020 reporters is, what's the question your candidate is waiting for in this debate to try and spring their message on the field and basically win the debate? Joe Biden? I think a good question for Biden in, in this debate is, is to talk about the Democratic the Democratic electorate and where it is right now. Because I think this is that's so central to his whole theory of the case, which is that Democrats in the field, 2020 field, who are running for president made the wrong bet. And that was that the whole party had moved much further to the left than it really had. And he has been saying this all along. And um, so I think any any chance he has to sort of highlight that he was the first person um, or, or not the first person, but really led the field in saying, no, I, you know, no Medicare for all. We're going to build off of Obamacare. Um, we are going to stay more moderate because that is where the electorate is. And then he likes to point to the fact that some of the other Democrats have sort of started backpedaling or adopt. Like he would say adopting his plan. They would um, they would take issue with that. Uh, but that is that's where his strength is, is saying, like, I know where the party is right now. And I am a good reflection of, of the party of where it really is. Elizabeth Warren. Well, this is also going to be a fascinating strategic question for her. Does she keep up sort of the more negative contrasts that she started laying out between Biden and Buttigieg and sort of make that case by going negative against them? Or is there a new message within like – and she's one of the most uh, on-message candidates I've ever covered before. It's almost impossible to get her off her own talking points. Is there a new message? Is there a new – thing for her to do beyond what she has done in these last five debates, which in which she's largely remained positive. Um, but it's clear from the last debate that that wasn't enough, that she needs like a, a next note, a next act. Bernie Sanders. A question that Bernie Sanders would love to get is a question about the things that he likes to distinguish himself um, on from other candidates. So for instance, he would love to talk about trade with Joe Biden. Any question, you know, asking why he voted against NAFTA, why he led the charge against TPP, he would absolutely love that because he would just train it back on Joe Biden and say that, you know, Biden in in those instances turned his back on working class Americans. He would also love to get a question about his plan to erase all student loan debt um, and to implement free college. That's a battle that he's been having with Pete Buttigieg over the last few days um, alongside Elizabeth Warren, who also has similar plans on college and student loan debt forgiveness. I think all three of those candidates would just love to get in a brawl with each other about that. Pete Buttigieg? I think that the Buttigieg campaign feel like they saw their rise go up 
at the same time as when they really escalated their attacks on both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren around health care and reframed it around this idea of choice and not uh, cutting people out but bringing people into the Democratic Party. And and I think that any opportunity where they can continue to make that argument and I think that, that the next one would be around uh, higher education and loan forgiveness, that they feel like that's the next frame in that story they're trying to tell. And they want to put put them in again in that position where they can sort of drive drive home that contrast and 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 loan forgiveness is one place where they feel like that that's where again like Medicare for all there are some clear and present differences and I I can see him seizing on that very quickly. Amy Klobuchar. What Klobuchar wants to discuss most is her electability and her heartland sense is one of the advantages that Klobuchar has had is that she is not widely disliked. While she's not widely known, she's been able to kind of carve out this niche from what we've heard voters in Iowa discuss, is that she's not too progressive, she's not too conservative, she's kind of the Goldilocks candidate, and she's just right in her sensibilities. Now, obviously, once the heat of an election comes on and more questions about her record and her rhetoric come to the front, that could change. Andrew Yang. The campaign would probably like them to spend 30 minutes talking about universal basic income and the ways that it would help different people. Um, He also really, really likes to talk about automation. And he wants to talk about how that has destroyed a lot of jobs in the United States. And he spends a lot of time on the campaign trail talking about how certain jobs are are going to be gone very soon. He talks about call centers all the time. He talks about people that work at Burger King or McDonald's. They're already automating away the front um, of the house and that the people in the back are going to be gone too. So I think he wants to talk about automation um, and UBI. And Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer would love a question on one of two things. Climate change, one of the planks of his campaign. You know, He says that he's the only candidate on stage who's going to declare a national emergency on day one. He would love, love, love to talk about climate change. Could do it until he's blue in the face. He'd also probably like a question on corruption. Uh, the other major plank of his platform and his kind of path to electability is probably making the argument that he is an electable candidate because he's trying to you know, give power back to the people. It's a pretty extensive uh, election reform platform, national referendums, term limits to members of Congress, uh, reforming the FEC. So if he can get a question on corruption and kind of try to swing it that way, it'd be helpful for him as well. Obviously, the debate hasn't even started yet. And yet it's still thrown up its first surprise already, a labor dispute involving food service workers and the company that provides food at Loyola Marymount University, which is hosting the debate, has turned into a Democratic primary issue with all seven candidates who are supposed to be at the debate on Thursday night vowing that they will not cross the picket line, which is what's happening on the campus right now as these workers protest, in order to participate in the debate. So obviously putting a lot of pressure on this company, Sodexo, to... Uh, resolve in favorable terms this this dispute before Thursday night. All right, that does it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I'm being told that our time is up and that this has been uh, a real disaster on your end of the podium. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for your willingness to participate. Remember, keep an eye out this week for more special episodes of Nerdcast leading up to the debate. And of course, after the debate happens, we will have our regular Friday episode taking a look at what happened on Thursday night, as well as some other news this week. Our producers for this episode are Annie Reese and Jenny Amen. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you like the Nerdcast and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and leave a review. 
It helps new listeners find the show. Once again, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.